Good morning, Salem Tabernacle. Again, I'm Pastor Bill Dandriano. Uh, if this is your first time here, I'm the pastor for Salem, and I have recently had a foot surgery, so I'm recovering. Uh, and unless you've heard some weird announcements before, you're seeing me right now, everything's going well. I miss you. I would love to be in the room with you. Being away at my house on Sunday just shows how much is missed when you're not actually in the room. Like, I pray, I try to get myself in the headspace where I'm imagining being there, but nothing is like being in Salem Tabernacle with you on a Sunday morning. So I miss you, but I'm also glad that we have people like Ian, who's the only other person in the room with me here, to help get us together uh, when it's absolutely necessary uh, to be a part we can even find ways to do it. And so I'm grateful for people like him. Uh, Ian, you know, he's doesn't like there to be any shadows or anything like that. He wants this to be the best possible experience for you. Um, he's done a great job. And so many people working to keep the services going. You know, Salem, I love the fact that you all do your thing in the Holy Spirit, whether I'm there or not. That's freeing for me. It's freeing for you. I miss you. I cannot wait to see you in person again. Hopefully a few more weeks and I'll, I'll be there. Welcome to the first Sunday of the world's new year. However, it is the sixth Sunday of our Lord's new year. The church began its year on December 3rd and we began our year by baptizing 40 people, which was amazing. And now we enter the world's new year. We are already warmed up for this year. We've already entered the new year by celebrating Advent, by celebrating Christmas. We are well, now we're celebrating the Feast of Epiphany, which is what you just heard. The celebration of the wise men meeting Jesus and bringing him gifts. Um, that is the Feast of Epiphany. And we are here celebrating that well into our Christian new year. But I want to talk a little housekeeping. I want to share for the next four Sundays... Mine and Jacqueline's vision that we share with our elders, our deacons, and our trustees, our overseers. What do we feel God has for us in 2024? This sermon's going to have a little more information in it than other sermons do, so just bear with us. Um, just want to share with you how excited we are about what God has for us this upcoming year. So, our vision for the year, our vision for 2024 is simplicity. Our mission for the year is proactivity. And I just want to take a couple minutes to explain these two words. Simplicity. Our vision for the year is simplicity. When I say simplicity, I don't mean things that are easy to understand. When I say simplicity, I mean a life where the parts of our life don't feel like they're competing against each other. Have you ever had a situation, maybe a scheduling conflict where you had two good things to be at, but if you went to one, you were violating the one that you weren't at. If you chose to go to this kid's game, you couldn't go to that kid's game. If you chose to come to church, you couldn't go to this event, whatever, whatever it is, times a thousand. Simplicity is when life doesn't compete against itself. Here's the reality. Life is never going to be simple. Life is always going to be 
in competition with itself. The parts of our life will always be competing against each other. However, we believe, Jacqueline and I believe, that the Lord wants to heal something inside of us where we have an inner simplicity, where our life doesn't feel in competition with itself on the inside, where there's a Sabbath rest on the inside, where there's an ease on the inside. And even when we go out into the complexities of the world, we are simplified on the inside. It is us, it is our relationships, and it is the Lord that we're serving. The way that we will get to simplicity is through proactivity, getting out there and happening to the life that is happening to us all the time. I remember back uh, in ninth grade when I played modified football, we did a drill where we had to run in a straight line and at some point we had to turn in and try to tackle each other. And my coach said to me, he told me to put up my hand and he said to me, he goes, here's how you're tackling. And he said, I I'm this hand, by the way, I'm not the cool hand, I'm this hand. And he said, you're, you're taking the hit. He said, what I want to see is for you to give the hit. I want to see you run at the thing that's hitting you. And what he was saying was be proactive. Don't just absorb what's happening. Run after it. And I feel like this year, God is giving us grace to be proactive in our relationships. Make that phone call. Reach out to that person. Take that chance. Roll the dice. You know, own your life. Own the fact that we don't know how much time we have. And so we are going to be proactive this year and taking steps in faith, stepping out of the boat, doing the things that we need to do for what? To show the world around us that we believe that our Redeemer lives. That's our job, to be salt and light and to show Jesus to people. And so rather than waiting for life to happen, we're going to be proactive. We're not going to wait until we're asked. We're going to meet needs on our job, at home, at church. Don't wait this year until you're asked. If you see a need, go meet the need. If you see an issue, go out there and try to heal the issue. Whatever it is, this year we want to be proactive. What do we want to be proactive in specifically? Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. I do have my Bible. I am turning pages. Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's our verse for the year. Write that verse down. Read it every single day. Read it every Sunday morning. We want to be proactive in loving each other, in honoring each other, in contributing to the needs of the saints and showing hospitality. We want to be proactive this year. I believe many of you are sitting there saying, I don't have the stamina. I don't have the strength. I'm exhausted. I don't know how this is going to happen. I'm telling you as your pastor, I believe that God is going to give us a grace and an energy. I'm going to close with this point and explain it to you. A grace and an energy to do what even our body may feel too tired to do this year. So let all of your thoughts come to the fore as you're hearing this sermon today. Let all of the anxieties and insecurities come on up. Let the Holy Spirit hover over them. Today, we're going to talk about contributing to the needs of the saints and seeking to show hospitality. 
You ready, Salem? Today, I'm going to talk about giving. So let me say a few things. I'm going to talk about giving. I'm going to talk about tithing today. Did I wait until a Sunday where I wasn't going to be here to talk about giving? Maybe, maybe not. If you don't like this message, I give you permission to get upset with Eric Davis, and you can get upset with Bill Bernasconi. You could get upset with Ian. Anybody, it's just not me. If it's a wonderful sermon, it, it was 100% my fault. If this is a terrible sermon, it's definitely somebody else's fault. You know I wouldn't do that. So if you're here and you brought somebody for the first time, and you're like, oh my gosh, the pastor's going to talk about giving. I am going to talk about giving. It may feel weird. I don't know what context you have. I don't know what churches you've been to. I don't know if you've heard great messages on giving or really sour, sort of toxic, self-serving, greedy messages on giving. Here's what I'm saying. I'm trying to be proactive today. I felt the Lord tell me that I should have this surgery on my foot before it became an issue. I didn't want to, but I was trying to be proactive. And at the same time, I felt like the Lord told me that I'm supposed to weigh in on these Sundays to talk about these items. And so I have to do it on video because I'm trying to obey the Lord on both ends. I'm trying to have this proactive surgery to make sure that I'm healthy long-term. And I'm coming at you through video talking about something as vulnerable and sort of exposing as giving. So I appreciate the fact that you may have some beads of sweat on your forehead right now. I appreciate the fact that you may be a guest watching online or in the room and you're like, oh my gosh, hear me out and we have all year to talk about it. We have all year to unpack this. We have all year to make sense of this, okay? So let's let the Holy Spirit hover over the room. We'll be okay, I promise. So let's talk about giving. It's the Feast of Epiphany, and we just read a text about how wise men came to see Jesus, and the wise men were calm, cool, and collected, and when they got to Jesus, they offered him gifts. And I can feel the anxiety in the room right now. Are you saying that the only way we can worship is to give God money? No. Hear the whole thing, I promise. This is going to, I think, be a healthy message. But they came, and they offered out of their treasure gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now watch, the wise men were not anxious. The wise men were under threat. They were being tricked by Herod. They were in a country not their own. They went to a king and said, we're looking for another king. And they were calm. They were hearing from the Lord. They were at a good pace. And they had wisdom. Herod, who's not a giver, the wise men are givers. They offered out of their treasure. Herod, who's a taker. Herod, who's a possessor. Herod, who is not generous. The minute he heard that a baby was born that might be a king, he got anxious and all Jerusalem with him got anxious and he ends up destroying innocent lives in an attempt to keep his power. This is how important being a giver is. The men who gave were wise, calm, and not anxious. The one who refused to give but wanted to possess, hold, and take he became anxious. So right off the bat, when we give out of our treasure, and in our day, that's money, when we give out of our treasure to the Lord, we are offering him the things that could bring anxiety into our life. When we possess, money possesses us. When we let go of money, here's what I've always said. 
when we're willing to give money, we can have money without money having us. When we can't give, or when we refuse to give, or when we don't think we're capable of giving, money has us, and like Herod, we get anxious, we get nervous, we start to feel insecure. I'll keep going. Giving is a reflection of the image of God, an act of thanksgiving, and it's our partnership in the redemptive plan. We'll, we'll be more specific about this in a few minutes. 2,000 years later, as we stand here now in 2024, 2,000 plus years later, giving feels more institutional than it did back then. We tithe to a local church. And institutional language can make us feel really nervous because we don't know how that institution is handling the money. We don't know, we don't trust, we feel weird about where our funds go. I'm telling you right now, I appreciate all of that. Anything that is really good is also really vulnerable. The, the best things in our lives, the most intimate things in our lives, are really good and also really vulnerable. Right? I have two young children. They are so, such blessings. And yet every day they're so vulnerable. Things can go wrong so fast. The better something is, the more vulnerable it is. So why does giving get exploited and manipulated? Because it's a good thing. Because it's a holy thing. Jesus, the most holy reality ever to step foot on planet Earth, because he was perfectly good, he was able to be perfectly manipulated, taken into the hands of sinful men, beard ripped out, crucified on a cross. The more holy something is, the more open it is to manipulation. That's why we can get manipulated, because we're made in God's image and we're good. Bad things can't get manipulated, they're already bad. Good things can. So, I appreciate the vast array of experiences that may be in the room regarding giving, and maybe you've experienced giving gone wrong. It's because giving is a good thing that it is vulnerable. So the wise men show up to Jesus, and they... We're talking about contributing to the needs of the saints and seeking to show hospitality. The wise men showed up and they offered Jesus gifts. They contributed to the needs of the saint of all saints, Jesus himself. And they also sought to show hospitality. They came in a way that made Mary and Joseph and Jesus feel affirmed and confirmed and that God was involved in this. Their arrival made Mary treasure these things in her heart. So not only did they contribute by giving gifts, but they also were hospitable, and they made the home where Mary and Joseph and Jesus were feel more affirmed, more loved. And that's our job. That's our proactive job, is to not just contribute monetarily, which is our job, but also to create a space in our home, in our church, even in our own personalities, where people can feel at ease, at rest, and at home. It's what happens on Sundays here at the church. This is where God gives to us, and we give to him. He gives us blessing and community and that feeling of euphoria that he shows up in the room. You felt it already today. And we give him our praise, our offering. We give him bread. He gives the bread back to us in the form of his body and blood. It's what's sitting on the table uh, on the altar right now. 
That's why it's called the Sunday service. It's called the Sunday service because we are serving God and he is serving us. We are serving each other and each other is serving us. When you praise, you serve me. When I praise, I'm serving you. We come to the table, we eat together, we sing together, we share a word together, and we're doing this for God and he's doing it for us. There's a mutuality in contributing to needs and in creating hospitality. Sunday is, is meant to show us what the world will one day look like when Jesus comes back. It will look like people of different races, ethnicities, genders, ages, political affiliations coming together, agreeing on Jesus, eating at his table, hearing him speak over our life, and having hope burst forth through our lives. All of that happens in service on Sunday, and it shows us what we're supposed to be bringing into the world all the other time. It's harder to pause when I'm in the room with just Ian. Like when I'm with you, I could pause and I could feel all the people catching up, catching your breath. Now, I'm just looking at Ian smiling. He's been smiling this entire time and it's, it's nice and freaks me out just a little bit every time. In Genesis chapter 14, read Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham's nephew Lot gets captured by a king. God gives Abraham the grace to go rescue Lot, and Abraham's family is delivered. Everybody say family. Everybody say delivered. One more time. Say family. Say delivered. Abraham's family was delivered, and when Abraham came back with his delivered family, Melchizedek, the priest of God Most High, gave Abraham bread and gave Abraham wine. Does that sound like anything that might be on the table here? So Abraham's family gets delivered and immediately he's eating bread and wine. We're here today because we are still part of Abraham's family, still getting delivered, and the priest of all priests is still giving us bread and wine. Why is that interesting? Because Abraham's response, Abraham's response to his nephew being delivered and to the bread and wine, it says that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had. Everybody say tithe. Everybody say 10%. Everybody say Abraham. Everybody say faith. The faith of Abraham, the father of our faith, gave 10% of what he had in response to what he had already been given by God, both in terms of his family's deliverance and in terms of the bread and wine that Melchizedek blessed him with. That's when the tithe shows up for the first time. When Abraham gives 10% of what he has, not to get something from God, but because God already gave him salvation and communion. Matthew chapter 23 verse 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, tithing, without neglecting the others. These you ought to have done, without neglecting the others. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you tithe, you give 10% of all of your increase. You should keep doing that, 
but you also shouldn't do that in a way that makes you say, now that I've tithed, I'm done. Jesus is saying, no, you tithe to contribute to the needs of the saints. You tithe to the, in this case, the synagogue, in our case, the local church. You tithe to the local church so that the local church is able to exist, and I'm going to tell you a cool story in a moment, able to exist to bring healing and justice and mercy and everything to the to the community it serves. But after you tithe, you're supposed to still be advocates for mercy, faithfulness, and justice, which is hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints is tithes and offerings. Seeking to show hospitality is being the kind of church, being the kind of individuals that are exuding mercy, justice, and faithfulness out of our lives. But Jesus says, Jesus says we ought to tithe. Jesus commands the tithe. Why does Jesus command the tithe? Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Go home and read Hebrews chapter 11. Paul in Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Melchizedek is actually, maybe even Jesus himself, if not a primary prophetic figure of Jesus. And so Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. When we tithe to the local church, we are joining Abraham in celebrating deliverance, celebrating salvation, celebrating the presence of the Most High Priest, Jesus himself, and we are connecting ourselves to the genealogy of faith where salvation happens. Well, why is tithing so important? Because nothing, Sam, you're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna remember that I said this. Nothing captures our heart more than money, food, and sex. Money, food, and sex. There's almost nothing that captures our heart more than those three things. And we are supposed to receive those three gifts in a way that honors the Lord. Well, how do you receive food in a way that honors the Lord? You receive food in a way that honors your body and doesn't destroy it. And you receive food in a way where you have it to give to those who don't have any. You receive food in a way that heals your body and doesn't destroy it. And you receive food in a way that is able to be, you're able to offer that food to those who don't have any. How do you receive money in a way that honors God? You receive the, the result of your time and your talent and your abilities in the form of money. And then you offer God 10% of that money as a way of saying, I know where that money came from. And I know who I want to be accountable to with the rest of my money. Somebody said to me once, do you think Christians live better on 90% than the world does on 100%? And I said, no, not at all. You can laugh at that. I said, no, not at all. I think I know exactly what I would do if I had the other 10% of my money that I, and I didn't tithe. I said, however, I don't think that we live better on our 90% than the world does on their 100 but I do think we live more content, more at peace, and more at rest. Because we have offered God something that captivates our heart. And I guess I need to finish this riff. How do you receive sex in a way that honors God? I'm not going to talk about this today, but I'll say this just because I brought it up. You receive it in the confines of the holy covenant of marriage. 
And not just that, but within your marriage, sex is something that is meant to make your spouse feel seen, feel free, and feel joyful. Not something that makes them feel enslaved to your desires, broken, and ashamed. I'm going to leave that now. It's just me and Ian in the room. It's strange, but I'm just going to leave that there. We will talk about that more this year. Back, back to something easier to receive like tithing. Let's get back to tithing here. Tithing is not something we do to a mob boss who offers us protection if we tithe. There's, you know, there's some thoughts out there that like if I tithe, God will protect me. That's more from Casino and Goodfellas and the Irishman than it is from the Bible right? We don't tithe to God and purchase protection from him. We tithe to a God who has already delivered us from death. He might not keep us from dying, but he has delivered us from death. And so we tithe not to transact and purchase protection. We tithe to say thank you for God being the God that he always is for us, regardless of what's happening in our life. Tithing hurts. Tithing hurts. We give 10% of our income. It hurts these days. It hurts. I mean, I, listen, I can tell you this right now. Theodore and Sophia, my two children, they would not exist if I didn't tithe. Because my wife told me while we were dating that she wouldn't stay with me if I didn't tithe. And you've heard this story before. I said, why will you break up with me if I don't tithe? And Jacqueline wisely said, probably 18 years ago now, if, I can't, if you can't handle your money right, you'll never be able to handle me or our family right. And she is 100% right about that. If you can't, if I can't be faithful to God with money, there is no way I'm going to be faithful to him with anything else in my life. Because money captures our heart so fast. It's why some of us are nervous about this message right now. Not because we're worried, but because it it's actually feels a bit intrusive. Because money is something that we want to hold on to as tight as we can. But when we do that, we become anxious like Herod. Not generous like the wise men. And you might be saying, well, I don't have 10% to give. Here's the thing. We offer 10% to the local church in response to a God who has delivered us from death. I promise you, if you lay out your budget, I'm sure you can find 10% of your income that is going to something that didn't deliver you from death. I'm pretty sure if you look through your Starbucks purchases and your Dunkin' purchases, Jacqueline and I call them grab-and-go purchases, or grab-and-shop purchases, or extra clothes. If you look at your purchases, I'm sure you could come up with 10% of your income that is going to something that does not deliver you from death, that hasn't died on a cross to forgive you of your sins. So before you say, I can't afford it, just look at what you're giving your money to, and look at Jesus and say, can some shift? And again, if you don't like this, Eric Davis, Bill Bernasconi, Ian Zarlowski, take it out on them. That's fine. They'll be fine with it. So, there's so much to say about tithing. I want to wind down now. I want to, I want to keep it simple for now. We'll talk a lot more about this as the year goes on. But here are three reasons for tithes and offerings. And here's the thing. Tithes and offerings. Tithing is not some one good thing that we should start doing over other good things. Tithing is part of the Christian life. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. Tithing 
is part of the normal Christian life. Jesus said it himself. These you ought to have done, tithing, without neglecting the other stuff. I don't want you to be a tither who does nothing else, and I don't want you to be an activist who doesn't tithe. I want you to be somebody who contributes to the needs of the saints, which is what tithing is, and also seeks to show hospitality, which is mercy, justice, and faithfulness. Tithes and offerings. Tithing is baseline. Baseline. We're going we're gonna to start to have some uh, piggy banks out in the foyer for kids. And it's the classic thing. It's a piggy bank that will teach you to tithe 10%, save 10%, and be responsible with the rest. That is like the age-old Dave Ramsey. That's the thing. Tithe 10%, save 10%, live well on the rest. Start there. It's a healthy way to live your life. I promise you. All right. Three reasons for tithes and offerings. Here we go. Number one. Why do we give tithes and offerings? Because we're created in God's image and he is generous. That's, that's number one. That could be all of them. God is a generous God. We are made in his image. We should be generous also. And you may be saying to yourself, well, God has everything. It's easy for him to give. Everybody, let's say John 3.16 together. You ready? For God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life for that probably got crazy in the room for god so loved the world that he gave his say it only his what only god has an infinite amount of everything but he only has one begotten son and the one thing that god only had one of is what he gave that's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Jesus is what God, having nothing left to give, looks like. Jesus, uh, another, uh, St. Augustine said, Jesus is the poverty of God. What does that mean? Jesus is God, having given everything, withholding nothing from us. Every bit of everything he had went to us when he gave us Jesus. So we are created in God's image. He's a generous God. We ought to be generous also. Number two, tithing is an act of thanksgiving for what he has done. Abraham tithed because God delivered Lot and the priest blessed him with bread and wine. We don't tithe to get. We tithe as a thanksgiving response bubbling up out of us for the salvation that we've been given. The Magi gave three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why? Gold, because Christ has sanctified us. Frankincense, because he's anointed us. And myrrh, because he's delivered us from death. The three gifts they gave represented the three gifts that Christ was already giving them. They gave in response to what they already received. They weren't transacting, saying, if we give you gold, will you give us sanctification? If we give you frankincense, will you give us anointing? There probably have been sermons that said, the more you, you know, the more you tithe, the more anointed you'll be. No! I'm not saying you'll get more money. I'm not saying life will work out for you more. I'm saying this. He's already delivered you from death. That is the greatest thing he could ever do. And tithing is one of the ways that we express thanksgiving. And finally, we tithe as a continuation of the redemptive plan. 
We tithe to the local church so that the local church can be open, have staff, and be available to the community that is in need. And therefore, we tithe to keep the local church open because it's within the church that salvation happens. It's, it's the progenitive reality. It's the genealogical trend of the world is the local church. So watch this. A few, I don't, it's, it's January 7th where you are. It's December 22nd where I am right now. I have no idea what day it is anymore. This is like Back to the Future 10. Ian's shaking his head. You shouldn't, you shouldn't say that. You're breaking the rules. Whatever. Earlier in December, one person, I won't say who because they asked me not to, handed me $150 and said, put this in the top drawer of your desk. If somebody walks into the church in need, give it to them. I said, okay. Put it in there. Weeks, it sat in the top drawer of my desk. Then, earlier this week, one of our members went to the hospital and their, their medical benefits gave them 14 frozen meals. And they texted me in the morning and said, if anybody walks into the church today and needs food, tell them that my husband can bring these 14 meals over. I said, okay. It never happens. All of a sudden, somebody comes to the, to the door. They walk in and I said, can I help you? And they said, I'm hungry. And the food pantries are closed. And I said, well, well, well. I said, here's the thing. I'll meet you in the sanctuary, have a seat. And he went to the sanctuary and I went to my office and I opened the top drawer and I took out some of that money and I walked into the sanctuary and I said to them, I said, listen, the food pantries are closed, but I could get you 14 meals in the next 10 minutes and here's some money for food today. And he was like, oh my gosh, thank you. He didn't go to Mavis across the street. He came here looking for food. Why? Because the church is a place that should be open where people should expect to find blessing. And the church should be filled with people who are generous. And when you tithe, the only reason that we're open, the only reason I have a job, the only reason is Ian is standing in front of me with a camera, is because for the last 70 plus years, people tithed. And it keeps the church open so that we can keep being there for the community and offering as much as we possibly can to people. So, think about it. Pray about it. Give it a shot. Test God. I'm not saying you'll get rich in a week. I'm saying I think something will shift on the inside of your life and you'll begin to feel more at peace. You'll begin to feel more connected to Jesus, not because you buy connection. Jesus will love you and be connected to you whether you tithe or not. I know it's a dangerous thing for a pastor to say. You don't have to tithe to get saved. You don't have to tithe to get anointed. You don't have to tithe to have Jesus in your life. I'm saying when we tithe, it declutters our hearts so that we can feel those things more. Listen, it's not that the sun won't shine through your window every day, but if you have stuff cluttering the window, you won't see what the sun is always doing. And so when we tithe, it's like removing things from the window and opening the window. Not to, not to get God to bless us, but to receive the peace and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So final point, final conclusion here, uh, hard transition, 
But we have a tradition here at Salem where at the end of every January, we bring a first fruit offering to the Lord. I know this sounds like a lot. I know that Christmas was just expensive. I know that I just spent the last 45 or 50 minutes or so talking about tithing. And now you're talking about a first fruit offering. Here's what I'm saying. I will never tell you you have to do this. I will never tell you that. But one of the things we do here at Salem Tabernacle, and we've done it for 20 plus years, is we bring God at the end of January the first fruit of our income for the year. You can give God the first hour of your pay. You can give him the first day. You can give him the first week. You can give him the first year's worth of pay. I'm just kidding. That would be defeat. That would be terrible for everybody. You can give God the first two days, the first three hours, whatever you feel the Holy Spirit offering you to do. This is not in place of tithing. When you read Exodus and Leviticus, you realize that God asks the people to give him a lot of things a lot of the time. There's a lot of feasts. They constantly go to Jerusalem. They're constantly offering a ton of stuff. And the answer is why? Because God always wants to make sure we know who our provider really is. And your provider is not the HR department that hired you. It is the human resource himself, Jesus. And so... Every year, we give a first fruit offering. If this is your first time here, you can ask some people who've been here. They can explain it to you more. I know this whole sermon was probably a lot like, oh my God. We, this is the first time in almost seven years that I've ever given a sermon on giving at all. I felt like it was time. So what do I feel about the first fruit offering this year? Now that I talked to you about tithing, what do I feel about the first fruit offering this year? I feel like this year, God gave me a verse for the first fruit offering, and it's Colossians 1, verse 29, and it says this. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Worship team, you can come on up right now. Everyone in the room, you can stand. This is going to be very quick. We're going to get ready to come to the Lord's table. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Here's what I feel about the first fruit offering this year. Here's what I want you to pray about. Last year and the year before, we toil and we're exhausted. Our schedules are exhausting us. Everything just feels like it's so tiring. Even things that didn't feel tiring before, like just like one bad conversation. It feels like it hits a 10 on a scale from 1 to 5 these days. I felt like the Lord said, when, when the people offer their first fruit offering on the last Sunday of January, that offering is going to declutter their heart so that they will be more ready to receive my energy as opposed to their energy. Paul says, I toil with all, struggling with all of his energy. Imagine God infused us with energy that isn't just hours wasting away, but it's his limitless energy. I know there's people in the room who could use that. And again, I'm not saying that the first fruit offering buys that energy. I'm saying that that energy is always trying to come to us. And our idols, specifically the idol of money and the anxiety it causes, blocks us from receiving what God is always giving us. And so I feel this year that as we come to the altar on January 28th and we give our first fruit offering, I'm believing that God is going to, that that offering is going to be like removing boulders from our life 
and we're going to receive an influx, like a CPR level of his air and his energy into our lives. I want to come to the table now. Jacqueline is going to come up here and pray as we get ready to come to the table of the Lord. Jacqueline, you can come up now. Salem, I know this was a lot. I love you. We're going to talk more about this. I'm here if you want to discuss it. Our elders are here if you want to discuss it. I believe God has great things for us in 2024. I believe that if you don't tithe and if you don't give in the first fruit offering, you will be blessed. You will be free. God will give you, he will never withhold any good thing from you. I believe that when we tithe and when we give in these offerings, we position ourselves to receive better what God is always giving us no matter what. Salem, I love you so much. Grace and peace.